Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. You know, there's no doubt that Lafayette is in an economic transition. Changes in energy are driving changes in the world, and Lafayette has, since the 20th century, been an American energy hub. You don't have to look far locally to see the changes. The infamous oil bust of the 1980s nearly bankrupted the entire city. Banks closed, bumper stickers read, last one out, turn off the lights. And fast forward, 2014 bust hurt a lot. The metro area lost some 20,000 jobs, a nation leading number, but here we are. The lights are still on. Why? Well, the top employment sector in Lafayette isn't energy anymore. 17% of Lafayette's workforce work in healthcare. It's by far the largest employer in the market. Direct mining jobs, 10%. And that's one-third of all mining oil and gas jobs in the state. So how did that happen? Well, Adam Smith would credit his invisible hand. Others might credit the work of economic development organizations like the Lafayette Economic Development Authority, helmed by my guest, Mandy Mitchell. LIDA is a tax-funded agency that's a bit like the economic gardener for the parish. It's responsible for workforce development, business recruitment, and is frequently tasked with analyzing economic impacts of big community projects or initiatives. Mandy served for years as an assistant secretary in the state's counterpart to LIDA, Louisiana Economic Development, and was instrumental in landing the deal that brought an Amazon fulfillment center and hundreds of jobs to Lafayette Parish. Mandy is a Lafayette native, a certified economic developer, and the first woman and person of color to run LIDA. Mandy, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me, Christian. Look forward to chatting with you today. Yeah. So if you're doing economic development well, that means you've got a lot of ribbons to cut. And traditionally, that's the role of your Chamber of Commerce. But Lafayette's Chamber of Commerce is a different kind of animal. First, it's not really local. It's regional. It serves nine parishes. And second, it's proactive. It shapes local and state public policy and advocates for business and free enterprise throughout the region. My guest, Troy Wayman, is the president and CEO of One Acadiana and has shaped the organization's second act since its founding in 2015. Troy has spearheaded initiatives emphasizing the need for better quality of life to attack to attract business and talent, a program called Vibrant Acadiana, and an initiative called 55 by 25, which aims to improve educational attainment across the region. Troy is also a certified economic developer and, had, and his organization serves as the voice for some 600 employers in the Acadiana region. Troy Wayman, welcome to Out to Lunch. Great to be here, Christian. So, Mandy, um, you know, your organization, one of your jobs, right, I, as a reporter, I go to your website to look at economic indicators, so I imagine you keep pretty good tabs on that. And, you know, you take a look around and things are changing pretty fast, especially in the energy industry. So people say, you know, that's our bread and butter. I got to ask, I mean, are we in trouble? We are not. Um, Lafayette Parish has um, been blessed with a very strong and diversified economy. Um, I was a child in the 80s and had several family members affected by the oil and gas downturn. When we did say last went out, turn out the lights, I had a couple family members who were laid off and had to pivot, go retrain and learn some new skill and do something totally different. Um, we are very fortunate today to have a growing economy with opportunities for Lafayette in a number of industry sectors, and we are not 
as heavily dependent on oil and gas as we once were. Um, although I will say we are still a leader in oil and gas, and I want us to become a leader in, in the renewable energy space as well. Hence, one of my strategies is to work with and partner with our existing uh, oil and gas companies uh, to explore ways that they may pivot and use their skill set and their knowledge and their innovations uh, and get into the renewable spaces. But I will tell you from an industry perspective, you mentioned it, healthcare, we are a leader. Um, we lead in the space, not just in primary healthcare, but also specialty care, but also innovations within the healthcare uh, industry space. Uh, we have several regional uh, size companies, regional companies that are continuing to grow um, if we can help them find the talent, they can fill the position. So healthcare, um, we are also an emerging market for in the tech space. Mm -hmm. um, we partnered with the state over a decade ago to reimagine Louisiana, to work with our higher ed institutions, to invest in computer science and computer science related curriculum so that we could attract companies like IBM, like CGI, like uh, SchoolMent, uh, like GDIT. Um, a number of companies in the tech space have taken another look at Lafayette. Um, and so that's an area that we're emerging and growing. The other, I'd like to share a couple other industry sectors that uh, I'm focused on right now, aviation, mm -hmm. um, believe it or not. And, and this is a spinoff from our strength in aviation supporting oil and gas, but we now do aviation training in this area for law enforcement across the United States. Right. Um, so aviation, and then you talked about Amazon in your opening, yeah. logistics. At the, we're at the intersection of I-49 and I-10, and there is no reason we shouldn't be knocking it out of the park, being at the intersection of two major thoroughfares, two major interstate roadways um, in logistics logistics and warehousing and transportation and so we have some opportunities there um yeah so we are not in any way shape or form <laughs> okay. in trouble in lafayette parish we have some opportunities well Christian. you sell you sell that well mandy and, and so something you brought up there you know is sort of tech industry we you know that brings to mind you know the, the questions of you know, how you compete for talent right and, and, and troy that's something that that you guys have focused on a good bit and, and there's a sort of mantra in the economic development world right um capital follows talent talent follows place which um you know if you don't speak economic development that basically means you build a cool thing a city and and people come there and the companies come after it right but you know you look at uh the growth of the city of lafayette the growth of the parish recently i mean we haven't grown that much and lafayette's generally been known as a cool city so have we been doing something wrong no, I don't think we've been doing anything wrong. I think, um, you know, <clears throat> the world's different today than it was when I was growing up. Uh, you know, I, I would have never moved someplace without a job. Yeah. Now people do that. They, they move where they want to live, and then they worry about the job afterwards. So that that's, falls exactly in line with what you said about uh, talent following place and businesses and jobs following talent. Um, you know, we're fortunate in, in Lafayette and Acadiana as a whole. We have grown uh, as a region while the north part of the state has lost population. So you've seen that happening. Uh, and I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think, number one, I mean, anybody would, who lives in Acadiana will tell you, like, well, the south part of the state's a better place to live anyway. Uh, but uh, that's, of course, that's anecdotal, but I do believe that to be true. I love it. I love living here. But I, I want to point, I want to go back to something that Mandy said uh, about the healthcare sector. 
You know, if we look at how incredibly fortunate we are to be the health healthcare hub that we are between basically between Houston and, and Mobile, Alabama, I mean, we're we're it mm-hmm. uh, uh, with the number of employees that we have and the services that we offer for a community our size. It's remarkable the amount of healthcare resources that we have. But look at who's done it. You've got uh, Louisiana company Auctioner, right? Lords that have put significant investments here and continuing to put more investments here. But then look at the private sector folks that have really, really stepped up. Uh, Keith Myers, LHC Group. He could have that, uh, that organization headquartered anywhere, or truthfully, anywhere in the world, much less anywhere in the United States. And he picked to put his facility here in Lafayette. Uh, Dr. Kip Schumacher with uh, Schumacher Clinical Partners, or SCP Health. Uh, you know, he could, he could be anywhere he wanted to be. Uh, uh, look at Vimed. You know, you talk about resiliency. This is a group of folks that came out of the oil field and recognized some of the challenges and said, hey, we got to come up with something else. Now, they happened to just hit the sweet spot because, hey, what do we do? We make some respirators. Well, they started this right before COVID and, well, things exploded for them. I mean, really took off. Uh, so they do a significant number, uh, a significant amount of work and they're growing like crazy uh, within um, respiratory health industry and that's everything from CPAP machines to respirators and those sorts of things so these are all folks that are from here and could go somewhere else but haven't Uh, and they're investing here and they're growing jobs here you look at the employee base at LHC and uh, they're from all over the region they're not just from Lafayette. They have folks that work there from all over Acadiana. Same thing with Vimed. Uh, same thing with SCP Health. Uh, and then look at companies like um, Acadian, for example. Richard Zuschlag from Pennsylvania. You know, like most, like great story. You know, uh, married a Cajun girl, and what? What are you going to do? Well, you're not going to move her to Pennsylvania. You're going <laughs> <laughs> to. You're going to. You're going right? to. Exactly. <laughs> so you're going to move to to Acadiana, and you're going to start a company. I mean. And the man saw, you know, saw a niche and said, hey, there's no really good ambulance service. Buys an old hearse, converts it to an ambulance, drives it himself, admittedly not the greatest driver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and now he's got uh, facilities and, and employees in Texas, Tennessee, Mississippi, all over Louisiana, uh, growing like crazy with his company uh, at Acadian. And again, he could be anywhere he wanted to be, but he chooses to be here in Lafayette, in Acadiana. Um Look at Matt Stuller, what Matt Stuller's done. You know, another self-made person who admittedly could manufacture jewelry anywhere in the world and actually does. Mm-hmm. But he onshored jobs. He brought jobs from Mexico uh, back to Lafayette during COVID um, and is continuing to grow his facility here. He could be anywhere in the world he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. He still chooses to be here. So, I mean, look, I, I, I got to think that you know, marriage economics, right? You know, hoping that Cajun women marry or, or men marry <laughs> people with good ideas is not really like an economic strategy, right? But hey, it does raise. Uh, it is don't for us it. here, believe yeah, it or not. It. We use it. So, but I mean, look, I, I, I do think it does raise an interesting question in my mind, and, and I have got two economic developers in front of me, right? Which is this sort of balance between how much of this stuff happens because, you know, you have people in the private sector just have an idea, right, and to develop something that works. And, and, and how do we, versus something that we actually materialize based on strategy. Often people say, like, we got to do something about this, right? Like, you know, the, we're losing jobs. They have to do something. And I'm kind of like, sometimes I'll say, well, well, who's they, right? right? And uh, some people might look it's at like, you guys and say, like, that's your job. It's, I think we need to say we. It's <laughs> we. It's everybody. <laughs> 
So what but does I, that look I, like for I, you, Mandy? Like, how, how do we get from, let's, let's put it in concrete terms, right? You, you guys talk about the growth of this healthcare sector, the diversification that happened between the 1980s and, and today. Was that a strategic plan that was implemented by folks at an office like Lido, Absolutely. or was it just an accident of history? Absolutely. Yes. Let me just tell you, <laughs> um, like Troy said, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a combination of both. I mean, you know, the private sector... They're, they're the leaders. It's pr the private capital has to make things happen. But economic developers serve as that catalyst, um, bringing together the private sector, bringing together government, bringing together uh, civic leaders, and making things happen. Um, the economic developer is the convener. The economic developer is the cheerleader. We're the marketer. So, I mean, look, nobody was thinking about Louisiana over a decade ago for tech anything nothing to do with computers and somebody in the economic development space the the former secretary of economic development said let's get with our higher ed institutions let's make targeted strategic investments in computer science related fields at the two and four year uh, level and then let's go market ourselves in the right places to people that are making investment decisions on where they're going to expand and grow and look we're at this uh, crossroads now post pandemic where companies are leaving the east and west coast and looking for other places to invest and so yes part of it will happen if the private sector somebody has an idea or somebody wants to expand but a big part of it happens because an economic developer with his or her friends in tow are doing in things intentionally um, to make the region and to make the parish more attractive for private investment for for job growth and for individuals because it really does matter um, look right now it's all about talent attraction it's all about getting um, talented individuals whether they're homegrown or whether they're from somewhere else to want to live in your community so the whole quality of life initiative uh, that's being led by one acadiana that is going to produce dividends um, and, and that's something that's intentional so yes you got to market your community you got to make your business climate um, attractive for the private sector so that means do those targeted infrastructure investments. Um, don't like? wait. Uh, it, go and advocate and fight for funding for investments. So, for example, downtown. Yeah. I think we have about $50 million committed from Lafayette Consolidated Government for infrastructure investments in downtown. Mm -hmm. That is going to help Anita Bagno continue to attract more businesses and residential and residents to live in the downtown. I think over the last 18 months, um, she and her team and the private sector together uh, announced 50 new businesses in this area, and that's going to continue. Lita has invested uh, in downtown with our Opportunity Machine that will have a presence here. That's going to generate a buzz of activity in the entrepreneurial space. That is something intentional that's happening. That's going to be a spark, a catalyst. And so um, it's. I think a lot of it is, is um, being intentional, being deliberate, uh, being strategic, uh, being collaborative. So, you know, the communities that just sit by and say, oh, it's just going to happen for us, you will see that they their growth has stagnated. So, so yeah. and, and I think it's the communities that sit by and, and say, oh, it's going to happen for us, but also, like, they say, well, that's Mandy's job. Mm -hmm. That's Troy's job. But you know what? Like, like Mandy said earlier, it, 
it's our job. It's everybody's job. This community is extremely fortunate to have an organization like LIDA. I mean, uh, there are a lot of communities that don't have a well-funded uh, economic development organization that focuses every day on making their, their community better. And, and Lafayette does. And it's a, a, a talented group of people. And um, they're, I, I look at us uh, as we're kind of the perfect public-private partnership ourselves in the two organizations you know we we uh, are funded majority of our funding is is all private um we do get some uh you know some funding from the state um that's on a reimbursable basis to help help us do marketing and that sort of thing but it is a it is a we have minuscule amount they're very small <laughs> yeah. fingers for the but, radio but listeners. you know yeah. what it helps and it proves that the it state helps. is dedicated to helping the regions grow as well um now could that be more? I would never argue with We're, we're going to work on that yeah. <laughs> this legislative session together. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mater. I'm talking with Troy Wayman of One Acadiana and Mandy Mitchell of Lita. So, I mean, but, but Troy, I mean, like, I could hear our listeners saying, like, we got, like, a public agency, we got a private agency. Historically, right, you guys represent business interest. Business says, you know, get government out of the way. I mean, is there ever a point where you guys are thinking to yourselves, like, well, you know, the government there, they're, they're kind of bugging our ability to, to sort of get anything done here. I mean, I, I, I know lead is a different kind of agency, to be sure, but I mean, like, to some extent, I think, like, historically, you might look at this from through that lens, right? Public-private partnerships. Well, the ideal public-private partnership for maybe a private industry is the public just to sit down, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I get that, but we, we can't do anything without the government. I mean, we, we can't, uh, if we don't have, and, and we're fortunate that we've got local leadership that is um, committed to, as, as Mandy pointed out, you know, $50 million committed to infrastructure in downtown. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's recognizing the, the, uh, the need to have a vibrant core. And, uh, you know, downtown Lafayette is the core for the entire Cadiana region. Um, Population-wise and others, I mean, it is it is it is the center. It's the hub city, right? It's the it's the middle of of Acadiana. Now, that's not saying that we don't have a number of other like. I mean, uh, one of the things my family and I have started doing on the weekends is we we go to a different place in Acadiana to have breakfast and just to look around. You know, we've gone to Crowley, we've gone to Brobridge, we're going to New Iberia, um, we've been to Scott. We would spend some time in Scott. I mean, and. It's really cool. We're fortunate to have all of these assets in our region that people can enjoy um, and that, that show different levels of vibrancy. And that's what we're trying to do is with our Vibrant Acadiana program is provide these communities with the tools that they need. Now, we can lead the horses to water. If they don't drink, that's, I yeah. mean, the drinking is up to them, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we can't do the work for them, but we mm -hmm. can provide them with the tools that, and, and we can provide other assistance, obviously, but, but we can't do the lion's share of the work for every single one of these communities. But we want to give them the opportunity to participate and to take advantage of these tools so that they can make their communities more vibrant, so they can attract talent, they can keep their talent at home. Uh, and they don't have this out migration of or, or brain drain that every community in the South has complained about for years, except for maybe Atlanta and Birmingham. But, um, uh, you know, we, we want to keep those folks here. What you see here, I think more than anything, is you see the boomerangs. You see the folks that they leave. Yep. Come on back. Uh, uh, Come home, Louisiana. <laughs> but, well, I mean, Come she just went to Baton Rouge, really. Yeah. I mean, she didn't really go. But, like, but, yeah. You, it you is see, another world over there. You see these, you see these totally. you know, kids, uh, you know, our kids graduate, they leave. And how many of them come back? We see a significant number of those people coming back because they want to be 
back here. And we'd rather them not leave, though. <laughs> yeah, we would rather them not leave. The UL grads, back, the SLCC grads. they bring back grads. experience and, yeah. and, and knowledge that can, um, best practices that can help us grow as a community as well. Yeah, let me just touch upon something, you know, back to your question, Christian, about government sometimes wanting to get them out of the way. And I'm, I'm the government. I've been, I, look, I've served in government for over 10 years. You're kind of the exception. And before that, I, <laughs> I, I served a long time. I spent a wonderful years in the private sector. And I brought with me into every government role I've had best practices from the private sector. If there's red tape, why? If there's bureaucracy, why? And so let me just say, the role that LIDA and one Acadiana play as economic developers that bridge between the private sector and government is, okay, are there regulations in place that are outdated, irrelevant, unnecessary, um, impediments to growth? Um, are, are there things like permitting processes that need to be updated? And so we do play a role with our government partners and saying, look, let's make this business climate conducive to attract private investment. So, that, I mean, it is what it is. There are times, look, state tax policy needs to be improved. And where what, what we can do as economic developers is lend our voice to the chorus saying, let's make some changes to improve our competitiveness, our business climate, and it may be tax policy. It may be some regulatory policy that's outdated and irrelevant and not necessary to protect the public anymore from some danger. So, you know, I, I just wanted to put that, throw that out there, but look, just, just as Troy said, we cannot be successful without a true partnership with, with the public. I mean, you know, the, the our taxes as taxpayers uh, generate the resources that our elected officials that we elect make decisions with and they impact the private sector and so we have to we have to engage and 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 we do and Troy can do things I can't <laughs> from a from a political or, or public policy perspective um, and vice vice versa I mean so we that partnership kind of working together with the private entity and the public entity. I'd kind of like to get both of y'all's takes on this because this feels like an issue that comes out a lot, right? Which is sort of it, the, the degree to which Louisiana's tax structure is, is not conducive to business. Because, I mean, you'll often hear from people say like, well, but we have very generous tax incentives. Louisiana frequently touts itself, I think, publicly, right? As a business-friendly state. You know, there are kind of periodicals that put that stamp of approval on it. And that can kind of have a little bit of cognitive dissonance where we're sort of saying like, Louisiana's a great place to do business. But we have this tax structure that doesn't work. But we, you know, provide all these incentives to give you to business. So, like, what's the disconnect there? The disconnect is this. We have a tax code with almost 300 exemptions. And so our tax rates have to be higher than other states' tax rates. So when I, as an economic developer, approach a business and say, hey, come to Louisiana. What's your tax structure? What's your top-line corporate tax rate? Um, you know, how do you handle property taxes? What about sales taxes? How do you collect those? And so if I have to go through a litany of explanation to say, oh, yeah, our tax rates are X, but I have an exemption for this and one for that. And, one, and at the end of the day, I can present a case 
from a tax structure perspective that shows Louisiana as competitive um, to, to our neighboring states uh, that don't have the same um, longer story to tell. Troy, uh, I, I want to bring you in because I would imagine, right, anytime this sort of comes up, like you talk about the, the, the exceptions in Louisiana's tax code, and, and in a lot of cases, right, these are industries that you might have tax that, that, re that represented sort of by your organization, right? And so somebody says, we need to get rid of all these tax incentives because it's good for business broadly. There's going to be somebody in your group that says, wait a second, I like mine, right? right. So, so that, <laughs> that seems like a tricky balance for an organization sure. like yours, right? Well, it, you know, it, 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 if you can end up showing an effective rate at the end, um, and that, for example, the, the constitutional amendment that passed this last election, uh, you know, one that didn't pass that should have passed the centralized sales tax collection, which would have made things significantly simpler for a lot of retailers, especially small businesses in our in our communities, uh, where they're having to deal with, you know, 50 different taxing authorities and trying to figure out who they pay tax. You know, it may take them a month to file their their sales tax when, when some stores like uh, places like Amazon and and uh, Wayfair and folks like that are. It's a one-stop shop for them, right? So, uh, but the other one that passed, it, it simplified our tax structure a little bit. Now, it's a step in the right direction. Did it do everything it needed to be done? Absolutely not. Mandy's right. It's a matter of being complicated. Um, if we can, I mean, the tax incentives are, they end up netting to be similar to what our competitors like Mississippi and Alabama and Texas and, and others do. Uh, but it is a complicated solution to show how that, works out. Uh, I, I'll give you an example of uh, my time in Alabama. Um, Alabama did not have a inventory tax. State of Georgia did. We were working on a, on a, on a major uh, project and the state of Georgia's package showed a $2 million exemption on inventory tax. So it made their package, their incentive package, look it was $2 million higher than Alabama's. And arguing with them, like, but we don't have, we can't show you a $2 million savings because we don't have an inventory tax. And they said, but theirs is $2 million higher. I'm like, but it's because they're exempting an inventory tax that we don't have. So the net is the same. And uh, I finally just, my solution was, okay, look, our, our income tax, our inventory tax is $8 million. And we're gonna let it, we're gonna not charge you that $8 million. So our package is now $6 million higher than Georgia's. It didn't exactly work. I was, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but, but but trying yeah. to trying to like simplifying that process where it doesn't take an accountant to explain to someone how what their effective rate is at the end, uh, and and how they're coming out just the same as they would in Texas or yeah another and, and, state. And, and then plus Louisiana's culture is just cooler too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, add that into the mix. But let me say this too um, about incentives. Incentives play a role in lowering the overall cost of doing business. Economic developers deploy them to compete. But there are also incentives that have public policy purposes um, that probably would hang around even if there were wholesale tax reform. So, for example, the Enterprise Zone incentive, that incentivizes companies to locate in economically depressed areas and to hire disadvantaged individuals who may not have this, the, the basic skill set 
So that employer has to take on a heavier training cost. That employer may have higher infrastructure costs if they're locating in a, a disinvested area. So the enterprise zone has a public policy purpose. Same thing with the digital media tax credit. Um, that allowed us along with the strategy in partnership with higher ed and economic development to put on the table that for digital media and software development that Louisiana is a player. It got us a second look with other with site selectors and executives looking to say, I'm leaving California, I'm leaving New York, and I want to go somewhere in the South. Take another look at Louisiana. There's a software development tax credit for a limited period of time that will allow you to offset your costs to relocate. Mm. So, I mean, there are public policy purposes as well to incentives. It's not just all about, hey, let's cut the bottom line as as, as much as we can. Let's let's cut the cost of doing business. So, I, I think it's also important. She brings up a really really good point. It, it is there are some of these some of these incentives are uh, absolutely they're designed to help the people in Louisiana. It's not just about helping the company. But I think one of the important things about the, the incentives that are designed to, and truthfully, they're designed to offset kind of startup costs. Like, you know, you, it, it costs a lot of money to set up a new facility in, uh, in, a, in, or in any state a or to facility. relocate a facility. Absolutely. So it's designed to kind of offset some of those costs. But the other important thing to remember is that these incentives are typically temporary. So it's designed to help offset the startup cost, get the company on their feet, growing, and then once they reach a certain size, they're worth more. Their taxes and things are going to be, they're going to pay higher, they're going to pay more taxes in the long run than they do up front anyway. So, and, and keep in mind, one of the things like with the uh, industrial tax exemption program, one of the things that people think, when they immediately see that, they think that the state's written a check. And that is not the case. It's simply they're not collecting dollars that they would collect if a they didn't offer A portion of the dollars. A portion <laughs> of the dollars, exactly. So, and, and if the company doesn't come, they wouldn't get it anyway. So they're, they're, they're playing the long game. We're, we're, we in Louisiana are playing the long game. We're betting on these companies to hire people. And in the interim, even, even during the period where we, they are enjoying that tax exemption, we're getting sales tax revenues from the employees that are buying merchandise throughout the communities. Property taxes. Property taxes. <laughs> um, you know, we're selling vehicles. Additional we're jobs. So Absolutely. for manufacturers, for every one job a manufacturer creates, mm. six to eight additional jobs are created in the community to support that additional workforce, that additional disposable income. Mm. So there's a lot to unpack when you talk about incentives. I, I cringe when people say... Uh, we're just giving something away, or corporate welfare. Sure. Um, I, I've spent a number of years demystifying incentives at, at the state level. And so, anyway, can I just talk about UL's R1 designation? <laughs> Absolutely. Unfortunately, we, we, you see, we got a lot to unpack, and we were, like, way out of time. UL <laughs> is now a Carnegie R1 designated research institution. I don't think people understand how transformative that will be for our region. I just had to throw that in there. That's and, a, and I have that to say that they're, they're, they're spending on research. What The amount of money they're investing in research, it may be more than I LSU's. I can't believe you went there. <laughs> it may be more than LSU's. Well, look, I'm not going to say that. I think uh, 
uh, circling back to something you said earlier uh, here, Troy, right? It, it feels like we're always playing a long game, and right? I mean, I, I, I asked the question, is it is it the free market? Is it government? And the, sort of the answer seemed to have just been yes, right? The classic both and uh, answer. And, and, and clearly, you guys, both of your organizations played a, a very big role in, in how we got from 1984 to, to today. And um, thanks again so much for coming on Out to Lunch at KDN. Thank you. Thanks for having us. My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana have been Troy Wayman of One Acadiana and Mandy Mitchell of Lido. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRVS, and you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Troy and Mandy by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. And you can find and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our social media. These photos were taken by Aster Morgan. You can find... Uh, more of Aster's photos at astermorgan.com. Out to Lunch, Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by Aaron Thomas. Our associate producer is Molly Richard, and our researcher is Leah Gertie Allison. I'm Christian Mater. I'm editor of the current Lafayette's nonprofit news outlet. For stories deeper than the headlines, head over to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. Until then, I'll see you here again next time for more business conversation on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.